This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Sunday, November 10th, 2019. On this day in 1917, 33 women were arrested for picketing in front of the White House. These protesters were part of the National Women's Party, who had been peacefully demanding women's suffrage for months. However, their civil methods were countered by violence when they faced the infamous Night of Terror. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're discussing the turning point of the women's suffrage movement, when 33 picketers were arrested outside of the White House. Before we unpack the ramifications of their actions, let's go back to the morning of November 10th, 1917. Lucy Burns marched proudly with her head held high and her banner raised. She and many of her fellow National Woman's Party members had been arrested for picketing three times before. The first arrest resulted in a fine, the second, a day in jail, and the third, several weeks in prison. The tension between the women and police had only escalated in the weeks following her release. The government promised that any protesters found outside of the White House would be immediately arrested and sentenced to six months in prison. Lucy didn't want to spend six months behind bars, but she would go through anything to acquire the liberty she and her sisters deserved. As the women approached the front gate of the White House, she could see a shouting crowd. The mob called the protesters unpatriotic, traitors, and temptresses. Any insult they could hurl at the women who simply wanted the freedom to vote. In the early parts of the year, when they first formed their picket line, passers-by were friendly, supportive even. President Wilson himself had invited them in for coffee. But now that the Great War had started, everything was different. Now the people just wanted the women to be quiet. As the suffragists' march approached the front lawn of the White House, Lucy heard a sharp whistle blast. A police officer, face red with rage, came huffing towards the group, demanding that they leave. Lucy and her cohorts refused. The officer yelled, Leave on your own two feet or leave in chains. Makes no difference to me. The ladies, resolute, called back, Give us chains. The officer cuffed Lucy and the rest, then shoved them all in a police wagon. 
They were booked, deemed guilty, and sentenced to six months of jail time. On November 14th, Lucy and 32 of her fellow protesters gathered at the Occoquan workhouse. She looked at the buildings, run down, dirty, and altogether unpleasant. Then she looked at her sisters, their faces stern and strong. They walked into the building as a group, ready to be processed by the state. As they entered the building, they were greeted by the facility's guards, tall, angry men, pure disgust on their faces. The guards shouted at the women, welcoming them to their new home. They called their prisoners traitors, witches, vile little children. Then the guards demanded that they strip naked. Lucy looked the head guard in the eye and told him flatly, no. Behind her, she could hear her fellows respond in a chorus of defiance. The guards were incensed. One stepped forward, grabbed Lucy's arm and yanked her to the front of the room. He shouted at the women, you listen or you suffer. Then he snatched Lucy's forearms and hoisted them above her head. Lucy's shoulders burned, her muscles strained from the sudden force. She glared at the guard, but managed to keep herself from whimpering in pain. She wouldn't allow him to see her fear. Another guard came forward and wrapped cuffs around Lucy's arms. They tied the chains to the ceiling and hoisted Lucy upwards, her shoulders burning more than they ever had before, her joints threatening to pop out of their sockets. This is your cell for the night. Now the rest of you, strip or suffer, said the guard. Lucy looked at her women. Even though her arms were on fire, she managed to keep her face firm. She nodded. And her women answered, we choose to suffer. Despite the unbelievable pain, Lucy was proud. We'll learn about the greater impact of the suffragists' protests after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. And now, back to the show. 
On November 10, 1917, 38-year-old Lucy Burns and 32-year-old Alice Paul, co-founders of the National Woman's Party, were arrested for protesting in front of the White House along with 31 of their fellows. This was only one of several demonstrations held to pressure President Woodrow Wilson into supporting a constitutional amendment granting female suffrage. Lucy and Alice organized the National Woman's Party with the express goal of granting women the right to vote. In an unprecedented move, Lucy and Alice organized the first protest ever held in front of the White House itself. On January 10, 1917, protests began in earnest. The suffragists' crowds were often small, but they were also persistent. They arrived at regular intervals bearing signs with messages such as, Mr. President, how long must women wait for liberty? At first, things were cordial. People would nod or tip their hats at the protesters. Sometimes they heard shouts of affirmation from a passerby. The public was expressing their approval of the women's stated goal. Even Woodrow Wilson would wave hello each time he went out on the town. Unfortunately, everything changed on April 6, 1917, when the United States entered World War I. While the nation at large went to work supporting the war effort, the National Woman's Party kept their focus on the task at hand. The public started to resent their continued protests, viewing it as unpatriotic behavior. Tensions rose further as protesters began writing more aggressive signs, including ones that referred to the president as Kaiser Wilson, a direct comparison to the leaders of the German army, the main antagonist of the Great War. In June, the public disapproval of the protests resulted in governmental interference. The police started arresting protesters and fining them for disturbing the peace or, quote, blocking the sidewalks. The protesters felt these fines were unjust and refused to pay them. They appeared before the White House on the 4th of July, bearing banners that read, Governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. Many were arrested once more. The protests turned violent on August 14th, when soldiers who were offended by the women's signs attacked them on the streets. The police watched as the disgruntled soldiers beat the picketers. Then, once the soldiers were done, the police arrested the protesters for disturbing the peace. As women continued to arrive at the White House, the government escalated its intimidation tactics. They declared that any person protesting in front of the White House would be sentenced to a minimum of six months in prison. Undeterred, Lucy Burns, Alice Paul, and many of their cohorts showed up on November 10, 1917, and were promptly arrested. Unfortunately, the violence intensified once these women reported to prison for their sentence on November 14th. That night will forever be known as the Night of Terror. Upon arrival at the Occoquan workhouse, the women refused to change into prison uniforms. 
they declared that they should be treated as political prisoners and sent to a nicer facility. They also instituted a hunger strike until their status as political prisoners was officially recognized by the state. The guards refused the requests of the women. To make them fall in line, they began torturing and beating the leaders of the movement. Lucy Burns had her arms chained above her head and she was forced to stand for an entire night. Dorothy Day was grabbed by two guards, lifted into the air, then slammed down onto the arm of an iron bench twice. Dora Lewis was thrown into a cell, then had her head slammed against the frame of an iron bed. When Dora fell unconscious, her cellmate, Alice Kosu, had a heart attack out of sheer panic, but was left without medical attention. After the night was over, the women spread word to their sisters on the outside about the horrid treatment they were enduring while imprisoned. Papers published the tale of the Night of Terror, and the public, as well as Woodrow Wilson, sympathized with the women's plight. Due to the persistence of the National Women's Party and the great work of many other suffragist organizations, President Wilson eventually pressured Congress to write and ratify a women's suffrage amendment to the Constitution. Throughout 1919, Congress went through the laborious process of passing and ratifying the Susan Anthony Amendment, otherwise known as the 19th Amendment of the Constitution. On August 26, 1920, the 19th Amendment was certified as law, and women across the nation rejoiced as they had finally achieved their goal. All the pain the suffragists had endured over the previous century was worth it. Women could finally vote. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you enjoyed today's story, please check out our ParCast original, Female Criminals, available for free on Spotify. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Joel Stein, Maggie Admire, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Giles Hovseth. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime.